hello, and welcome to the DPF Podcast. This is your host, Sam Norton, with another episode of Just a Tad. I am trying to sound a lot happier than I actually feel, because today, if you couldn't tell by the picture in the description, we are talking about the fact that the great artist, the great last American artist in my estimation, passed away today. That's Prince. Uh, really sucks. Passed away at the age of 57. Uh, not okay with that. And I, I know you guys are wondering, like, why is a comic talking about Prince on a podcast about comedy? Well, uh, he really did help me define uh, my own artistic integrity. He's one of those people that really set a standard of not not being compromised by outside forces in this funky fucking business. And I know that I'm still lower on the totem pole than most, but I wanted to start off like like how Prince went through his whole career. I want to make sure that I started off in a good place so that way... If and when I get corrupted by this business, it won't go too far down the rabbit hole where I can't turn back, if that makes sense to you guys. And so this is going to be my little tribute to Prince. And how do you do that? How, as a comic, do you pay tribute to Prince? Well, if you could tell by the description, I hope you did notice, uh, we're going to be talking about Dave Chappelle's infamous sketch on the Dave Chappelle show, which started airing, that this episode actually aired in 2004, and the sketch that we're going to be talking about is Charlie Murphy's little sketch that he used to do called True True Hollywood Stories with Charlie Murphy, and we're going to listen to that clip. Now, to give you a little bit of a backstory, because uh, some of it's a little visual, but you guys will get the context if I explain it. Uh, Dave Chappelle used to do a bunch of different sketches on his show, and one of the reoccurring sketches was Charlie Murphy, who is Eddie Murphy's brother, would tell these stories in front of a green screen, uh, and it would just be him kind of monologuing, telling you the story, being the narrator, and then it would cut away to Dave Chappelle and crew acting out the story that Charlie Murphy was telling. So in this story, Charlie Murphy is himself, there's other actors, but Dave Chappelle is playing Prince. So anytime you hear, ow, do it, that's Dave Chappelle playing Prince. It's fucking hilarious. We're going to dissect it and really pay tribute to Prince right after we listen. So please give it a listen, enjoy, and uh, we'll be right back. Call another one like in, you know I think it was in '85 like when all that androgynous shit was going on and what was wild was that the guy who looked the most like like a bitch was getting all the women. <laughs> Even I had the Jerry Curl was coming out and I had my shit sick to the side and all that. If you wearing baggy shit now and you acting hard, if you from LA, you motherfuckers was wearing some, some strange shit. We, we in the club, we get our groove on shaking it up. And Prince came in. That's when Purple Rain came out, and, and Prince was the shit. You know what I'm saying? Prince had on like a, it was like a Zorro type outfit. It had the ruffles that come down the front. He had the big perms flushed out and all that. And, and mustache and everything that was drawn on his face. And it looked 
like it's something that a figure skater would wear. You know what I'm saying? And he was with his whole crew, and he had this other cat uh, named Mickey Free. And Mickey Free was like the new cat in Shalimar that when he joined the group, I heard mad cats like, yo, Shalimar got a new, new girl in there, man. That bitch firing like a motherfucker. They was talking about Mickey Free, man. Okay? Mickey Free is not a girl, all right? They came over where we was at. Prince started talking to my brother. Hello, Eddie Murphy. Prince, what's up? I'm a big fan of your comedies. Oh, that's hot, Prince. Would you like to come to my house and listen to some music? Ooh, that's cool. Fruity, get the car. Assemble your crew. I'll be outside. <laughs> we went up there. We get there, he puts the tracks on the tracks, we're slamming. You know what I mean? We listening to the music and everything. We grooving at the crib. He's like, they had girls over there. He had a nice environment. It was, it, was, it was tight. This bores me. Is anyone up for a game of basketball? <laughs> How about you and your friends versus me and the revolution? So I was like, this nigga must be joking, man. He, I, don't know, I don't know where he's going with this and shit. But he was dead serious. He had his uh, helper or whatever go and get some, like, shorts and sneakers and gave them to us. And laughing, I'm like, this is going to be some funny-ass shit. So they come out, right? And I look at them, and um, they still got on the same shit they be wearing at the club. <laughs> It was wild. And I was like, I know they ain't thinking about playing ball in that, but they were. I said, hey, you know what? You know what we're going to call this? The shirts against the blouse. <laughs> and when I said that, this look came on his face. He ain't brilliant. And I'm looking back at him thinking to myself, you know, what are you angry about? I mean, you know where you got that shirt from. And the damn show sure wasn't the men's department. I mean, I kind of learned something that day. Don't never judge a book by its cover. This cat could ball, man. Play ball. He was crossing cat like I was crossing here. Made my knees slam together. He was getting rebounds like Charles Barkley, snatching his damn. Shoot the J. Shoot it. Let's run a play. Computer blue. Darling picky. They was kind of setting these fruity picks, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you be trying to check Prince, and then you got this cat standing behind you, and he's getting close to you, and his hands is out like this. You don't really want to be bent over in front of a cat like that. You know what I'm saying? Prince was incredible. Prince, you got a towel, man? It's kind of hot out here, man. Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Good. In your face, Charlie Murphy. Good. Good hustle. Yo, man, I'm not on your team. I mean, it wasn't even like it was close. It was a landslide victory. Game. Blouses. I was there. I seen it. You don't believe me? You think I'm making it up? You think I'm trying to, uh, you know, enhance the story because I'm involved? 
and try to give myself an excuse for losing because I'm telling you a story about Prince. I dare you to challenge Prince to a game of ball one-on-one. Challenge him! Right? And let, make sure your people is there to see the game because you might get embarrassed. Trust me. All right, he beat you in basketball, and then what happened? After it was all over, he took us in the house and served his pancakes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I got to admit, um, it's a good game. I wish I could say the same for you and the crew of flunkies. Do you guys want some grapes? I mean, you know, there's some great storytellers in the world that we live in today, man. Bitches. Who the fuck can make up that shit? That was Charlie Murphy doing the now infamous sketch about Prince and his true Hollywood stories on the Dave Chappelle show is what we just listened to. And let's get into the sketch before I get into talking about how Prince is related to this. The sketch itself uh, is so fucking funny to me. Um, If you get a chance to watch it, please, uh, it only gets better with more visuals and it holds up auto why or sonic-wise, too. I love it. Now, here's the main reason I like, though I think I like the true Hollywood story sketches more than most. Not all, but most on the Dave Chappelle show. One, because he was thinking outside of the box on his own show. Because the way the Dave Chappelle show was set up primarily 80 to 90 percent of the time is that Dave Chappelle himself was on his soundstage in front of a you know, live studio audience, and he would monologue and do a little bit of stand-up before most of his sketches and introduce the premise that way, and then they would go into the sketch, so you kind of had the premise, they'd go right into the jokes, and then, you know, hilarity would ensue, and that was very groundbreaking at that time. I don't really know of any other sketch shows that have done that, because most of them are primarily like the... uh you know, the, the Saturday Night Live type method where it's, you know, go back from a commercial break and then you have this package wrapped up in a bow within five minutes and you have beginning, middle, and end type thing. Whereas Dave Chappelle kind of, he, he spliced it up a bit. And now you see more people doing that nowadays, like, uh, you know, Key and Peel and uh, Amy Schumer show does it occasionally. But, uh, the Dave Chappelle show, that was mainly what he did. But on this particular sketch, uh, two reasons he was kind of groundbreaking outside the box on his own show is the one thing is he wouldn't set up the premise of the joke uh, at all. What he did is he basically said, my friend Charlie Murphy has got some crazy stories and so we wanted him to tell him so just take a listen right that's all the setup that you would get and then charlie murphy would go in and narrate and tell this whole story so it was it was its own wrapped up package but what was even better is that he made charlie murphy the star of his own show for five minutes at a time i mean charlie murphy got famous off of you know this bit and then mainly the uh rick james 
one that if you haven't seen it, he tells a very similar story about uh, a couple of times that he used to hang out with uh, the very famous and now deceased, which, you know, it's a, seeing a pattern here, but the now deceased Rick James. And so he he put his he put the image of a show aside so that someone else could shine. And I think that's uh, that's quite amazing and trusting of somebody else to be able to carry a show for five minutes. I, I very much I found that uh I don't know, quite humbling uh, from a, uh, a comedic stance of like, yeah, sometimes somebody can make your show better than you can. Not all the time, but in cases like that, when something's funny, it's funny. You just have to go with the best funny. Now, uh, uh, going away from the politics of the show, right, and this, this sketch that we're talking about, the sketch in particular, the true Hollywood stories that was like a reoccurring bit where Charlie Murphy would tell stories, I love it because it's what I like to call sketching a story. And what I mean by that is you're taking a story or a bit of stand-up or joke and you're making it three-dimensional. You're adding texture to the joke because it's not just a, a theater of the mind, which is what most stand-up is when you tell a story. You describe things in grave detail to put an image in people's minds. Uh, you're not like they were doing that. Charlie Murphy was doing that. But then with the capabilities of, you know, filming sketch and doing fadeaways and stuff like that, they were able to add a sketch into stand up. And there's a lot of it's it's very multimedia joke telling. And out on the comedy circuit, there are a lot of uh, independent run shows that have special multimedia shows like that where they bring a projector. You can have people act out things as you tell them. There's a lot of shows that do that now, and I find it uh, absolutely inspiring. Like To be quite honest, I would love a good portion of my own act to be that in some way, to be able to bring a projector with me and either make a slideshow or a video that I could also narrate in that very similar fashion because I believe it gives you more, uh, it gives you more spice to your 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 stories and gives more entertainment value. It's the same as if you were to you know order a steak. A steak is good, but maybe you want some garlic mashed potatoes. You want to feel the crunch of the asparagus. You want to have a hot cup of coffee and maybe some key lime pie. That's what all these different comedic ingredients can add to a show. But in stand-up, it seems like we're very limited. Uh, sometimes it's a good reason, right, that, that really purifies the comedy and brings it down to its molecular level of like this is what you're getting you're getting a dude or a woman uh or you know whatever third gender <laughs> uh in front of a micro you're getting a person a human being in front of a microphone and that's it you got a brick wall behind you at best and then a spotlight on you at best you know what i mean uh, so I understand the purity of comedy, but I think that it can be quite limiting to where you can actually blossom it once you learn the craft and figure out how to weave like Dave Chappelle did in the most elite way that he did on the show. What I'm talking about right now, he was able to weave these multimedia experiences into somebody else's story and just make it orgasmic instead of just a belly laugh. You're getting you're getting a pop culture orgasm. I can't explain to you guys how popular, if you weren't around, I can't explain to you how popular Dave Chappelle's show was and how these sketches in particular, the uh, true Hollywood story ones, really 
became what we now call as viral. And it, it was really before YouTube was as big as it is now to where, you know, anything can go viral. It was being passed around and shouted all the time. Uh, and there was a reason for that. It was because it was not only purely funny, but it was entertaining beyond all recognition. It was it was a real triumph of comedy, and I I think th that was really the the mainstay of uh, Dave Chappelle's genius on his show was that he his sketches were not only pushing everybody talks about how they were pushing the boundaries of. Uh, you know, the taboo and you know, he was talking about race and and the the complexities of what it's like to be a, a black male in society or in Hollywood. He was doing that stuff, uh, which I don't take away at all. But I think what people talk about less is what he was doing for comedy and that he was really changing the structure and the ability to entertain in a uh, in a viral way, in a very broad expanse. But what I looked at more is that he made artistic integrity very broad. And that seems uh, oh, it's such an insurmountable feat. And to have somebody that actually did it uh, really calms my nerves that you can have artistic integrity. It's maybe the harder road to go, but you can have artistic integrity and still entertain the masses. Uh, you just have to, I think, work harder, which, uh, you know, is is not a bad thing. You, I, I wish it was easier, but I, I like going – I would like going down that road. Now, his outside-the-box thing uh, that I was talking about and, uh, you know, the, the monologue, a lot of people have done that now, like I said, Key and Peele. Um, so it, it has become it has become part of the comedy zeitgeist, I guess I can say, it, it, in some capacity that, you know, you, you tell a joke and then, uh, set it up with a sketch, but the, the, mo or the, not monologuing over the story, but the narration of the story as it goes on, uh, to have that enhanced, I don't think that's done, I don't think it's done that much anymore, and I, I think it's a great mechanism to, to have, um, now getting into Prince, right, Prince is gone, uh, but I think the artistic integrity kind of leads me into that. Um, he, uh, the, the, the epitome of artistic integrity in my mind, the man in his prime walked away from, uh, the music industry, uh, the, the music industry, not music, but the music industry, uh, walked out of his contract because he felt like he was getting a bad rub that he was, so he was the product, he was the manufacturer, and yet the distributor was trying to take uh, more than their fair cut out of his pocket. And so he broke ties, uh, he stopped calling himself Prince because he didn't, and everybody gives him shit, right? So Prince uh, cut ties, stopped calling himself Prince, went as uh, the artist formerly known as, and he had a symbol and uh, everybody was giving him shit, like, oh, this guy's really lost his fucking mind, but people don't think about how, how pissed off you would be if that happened to you. Now, a way to think about it is, imagine you come up with, uh, all right, imagine you came up with the light bulb, right? I guess, I mean, everybody gets behind fucking Nikola Tesla, and, 
uh, I think that's a great analogy for kind of the, the, the artist fight that Prince was doing. Nikola Tesla came up with AC. He helped with a lot of other things and threw a bunch of shady shit. Uh, you know, uh, what Thomas Edison was riding the back off of Nikola Tesla. So imagine you are with Thomas Edison, right? And you work for him, right? But he says that you're a contractor. So every invention you bring him, he will give you $1,000, right? So you, or he'll share, he'll distribute your product, right? But imagine that you find a way to make a light bulb before him, right? And not only do you make the light bulb, but you... Uh, invented the idea of the light bulb, okay? This is the analogy that we're going with. You not only invented the light bulb, but you invented the idea of the light bulb, all right? So you are a creator and manufacturer of this product, right? But you have no means of mass distribution. Imagine that you you have the factory, you have the idea and the patents, you just don't have the trucks. And then imagine the person that has the trucks says, okay, uh, well, we're going to sign a contract where I get 80% of the profits. Seems a little unfair, but that's how the entertainment business is. If you write a script, make the movie, uh, finance it yourself, but then you go for distribution, a lot of these people take your shit. In comedy, uh, you manufacture, you write the jokes, perform the jokes, and travel with the jokes, right? Your own act. You have your product, you make it, you distribute it, but you have no means of mass distribution. Uh, comedy club owners and bookers will say, hey, you can do our room, but they'll take down most of the money. I mean, they probably get in one week, you know, they'll probably get, let's say, 2000 right? And that's low. Uh, let's say they get 2000 in ticket sales and then another two grand in drink sales, right? Uh, you go in there and you maybe get, I don't know, 600. Let's say 600, right? You get 600 for a night. Uh, I don't seem, it doesn't seem like that's fair that in in the product that they're selling, you get way, way less when, when you're dealing with that. Um, but there's no, the problem is that they have all the power and prints, Prince found a way to step away, and after he after he built a uh, a real brand, he was able to step away and still be successful. And why now? I'm trying to wrap this up so you guys can understand what I'm talking about. Why I'm choosing this? Uh, Prince Prince got fucked over by the music industry. He stepped away because of artistic integrity. The music industry helped build his brand, so he was big enough and powerful enough to say, fuck you guys, and came back with a vengeance, toured around, and became the artist that he always wanted to be, which was autonomous and with no outside influence, but with all of the um, artistic integrity that he once had whenever he was on the up, up and up, right? And Dave Chappelle did the exact same thing. Dave Chappelle was a very, very talented, still is a very, very talented comedian, uh, had no means of real mass distribution. Comedy Central gave him that chance with the uh, Dave Chappelle show, right? And he got huge. It was only like two or three seasons, right? He got fucking huge in that time. 
but he felt like he was being treated wrong, and he also felt like no amount of money was really worth uh, the notes that he was getting from the network and the attention that he felt was being thrown at his sketches, whether or not they were, um, oh, what's it called, Un- like Uncle Tom type sketches. Like he, it, it, he felt like his artistic integrity was getting compromised. And the good thing is, he was he built a brand and was big enough to be able to walk away and have artistic integrity. And I think, I think people shit on. Uh, artists that do that and go, oh, you know, what a baby. You're getting paid all these mil- millions. It's like, yeah, but you have to understand that artists, real artists, don't do it for the money. The money is to be able to do it the way that you want to do it. That's all any real artist ever wants. Big houses and shit, those are nice. Nobody's not saying that, but they're never the means to the end. I I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that if you're in the, if you're in the entertainment business to get rich and famous, uh, you're you're gonna have a rough life. You're gonna have a very sad life because this entertainment business does not give a fuck about you. You're a goddamn cog in the machine. And both Prince and Dave Chappelle found a way to get bigger than the machine and become their own entity, became their own distribution, manufacturing, and creative factory to be able to turn a profit without. Uh, compromising who they were and even their family. I'm sure after some point, you know, you're chasing people liking you and hiring you and going through audition processes and living hand to mouth most of your life. I that becomes quite a bit of uh, of, of a problem on anybody's uh, plate. Whether you're in Hollywood or in Idaho, it doesn't matter. Living living like that is difficult. That's why a lot of people aren't. Uh, subcontractors or uh, self-employed. Most people would rather have an employee a steady paycheck, and that does not exist in the entertainment business. And it's even worse because you can, for whatever reason, someone if if you're under the heel of the machine, if you're under their boot and you rely on them, they can get you by the balls. And a job that you should be getting paid twelve hundred dollars because you need that money, and they know you need that money, and you need that you know, whatever movie, stage time, whatever, they can say, well, instead of a thousand dollars, we're going to give you 400. And then you go, what? That's fucked up. And they're like, well, we can find another person that'll do it for 400. So then you end up feeling guilty or shitty that you, you got to get paid. And it's a, it's a vicious cycle. And to see someone win, to see two people win and not only win, like, robbing the bank but when not only robbing the bank but walking out the golden hero with their soul intact is is i think the best thing possible and even more linked on this right so dave Chappelle does this sketch and these two are linked by walking out on you know millions of dollars potentially with their artistic integrity right these two souls are linked that way and also being predominantly black icons let's be honest they were revolutionary in their depiction of the black male uh which you can't go unsung uh so these two are linked in that way um another way uh, as quite hilarious is this sketch if you look at the uh, little icon that i posted that's dave Chappelle dressed up in print as prince in this sketch and the coolest thing happened in august 2013 Prince made a single called 
Breakfast Can Wait, which is a great kind of sexualized song, getting back to Prince's old schoolness. And uh, he not only samples the sketch, but on the cover when he released it, I believe on Twitter, and then I think if you buy it on like iTunes as a single, it comes up. But it's uh, it's Dave Chappelle dressed up as Prince holding pancakes. That's like the quote unquote album cover of this single. And he released it back in 2013. I thought that was such a cool moment because everybody gave Prince being everybody has this idea that Prince because he was an elusive, mysterious, uh, you know, eccentric weirdo. I'll be honest, he was kind of an eccentric guy. Everybody thought that. He was this uptight dickhead, and to me, I've watched enough interviews with Prince to know that he was just kind of a quiet recluse, but he was still a real fun guy, at least from what I saw. He just had a dry sense of humor that everybody thought was him being a dick, but I could tell that he was just he was just this dry sense of humor dude, and I think this proved it, is that, you know, on this hypersexual, not hypersexualized, but very good love ballad type song that he had, he put a picture of Dave Chappelle, which juxtaposed as like, yeah, I'm going to listen to this. What the fuck? Like, it looks so goofy. But then you hear the song and I'm just like, oh, shit, that's actually a good song. Um, so it really it really kind of reflected art affecting other art. It was such a loop. You know, the, the Charlie Murphy sketch was uh, so... You know, Prince started off, right? He wrote a song, he did the story, or he involved Charlie Murphy, right? So that that's one art, right? And then we move into Dave Chappelle hearing that story from Charlie Murphy. So that's art affecting life, or art affecting art, right? And then for it to come full circle and go art affecting art, then, then Prince sees that sketch and then wants to put it onto his album cover. It's just a nice full circle of, a good artistic community having fun with itself being inspired by itself and i i think that uh you know we need maybe a little bit more than that uh not more than i think we need a little bit more of that uh i think art flourishes when artists uh of all medias uh interact push each other uh to the bounds of creativity just like sports uh i'm sure Football players can learn something from sumo wrestlers or soccer players or, or sorry, football players can learn something from football players. That y You can learn mechanics and ability and training from other uh, athletes and their abilities and training methods. And I, I, I think that's very similar to how art is and can be. And um, so... So I, 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 I hope uh, more comics, uh, any of you listening, I hope, hope you try to get out there and learn from other medias and be inspired by any art. It doesn't have to just be comedy. It can be any art because I'll tell you what, um, personally, Prince has pushed my career farther than I think I could have. Uh, now, I don't do this joke anymore, but this is how we're going to end. This is from a uh, set of mine from uh i think three years ago uh this was my closer for a very very long time uh inspired by prince i've listened to him ever since i was a little kid and one day uh i listened to him and realized that his one of his most famous songs is the dirtiest fucking thing i've ever heard in my life um but to be quite honest to be honest uh i don't like to say this but it is 100 percent true this one bit was uh so crowd pleasing that it pushed it it got me bumped up to a lot of different spots and a lot of different clubs got me more money got me more road work it it really 
help burgeon my uh it really helped further my burgeoning career and it all was because of prince uh i'd like to say that was a hyperbole but it really it really did reflect once i had that uh joke as a closer uh it really reflected that i i started to be bumped up in the the comedy circuit and uh started getting more attention from club owners mainly um now i don't do the joke anymore i i kind of threw out all music in my act but uh I, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss his, uh, his spirit and his musical ability, and, uh, you know, it sucks that he's gone, but he, he really did, it, it was 57 years, he went too soon, but in that, in that life, that, that short life that he lived, he really made a huge impact, and not just in music, I, I feel like any artist can look back on his life and, uh, be inspired, so, uh, we're gonna listen to we're gonna listen to my little my little joke uh, on the way out as my little tribute. But I want you all to go out and find your own inspiration. I usually say find your own little comedy, find your funny. But I say today, um, in this sad moment, find your own inspiration, find your own bit of uh, artistic integrity that you can find that you can kind of compare yourself to and hold yourself to a standard that not only you can like i said be inspired by but but then hold hold up as like a, a pillar of strength whenever you feel yourself slipping so um give this a listen thank you all for listening to just a tad my name is sam norton you all are wonderful please like share and follow and enjoy and i hope that this in whatever way made you feel a little bit better about comedy and maybe the tiniest bit better uh, about Prince passing because although he's gone, he will live forever in our hearts. So I love you all very much. I'll see you later. Bye. I really love Prince. I'm a huge Prince fan. Anybody else in here? All right, good. Me too. He gets my pussy wet. Um, I've listened to Prince for the greater part of two decades now, and it wasn't until a few years ago that I really listened to my favorite song and heard the lyrics and realized how completely fucked up it is. And so I'm going to play the song for you guys tonight and ruin it. Uh, and we're going to basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the song and then do the commentary over the lyrics. So if you guys are ready, uh, the song is uh, Prince's Little Red Corvette. We all know it? All right. So we're going to test it out, and then we'll here we go. Oh, that's Purple Rain. Anybody cry? Yeah. All right, here we go. love uh and he's at this party and he sees this beautiful young lass across the way and he's like mm, we gotta get me some of that and he sees one problem what was it fellas she's got a popped collar we all know what that means slut oh slutty popped collar <laughs> he's like fuck it i'm gonna take a chance on love the way we all should so we're already learning something's a little love tale tonight that you should look for love in all the wrong places all right and i want to continue the love story to you guys all right here we go Children, some of 
All right, I'm going to repeat that for all of you who weren't paying attention. Prince just said, I guess I must be dumb. She has a pocket full of horses, Trojan, and some of them used. Yeah, he's talking about a bitch with a pocket full of used condoms, everybody. Used condoms with an S. That's plural. That means two. No, he says some, which is like three or four or more. I don't know. He's being very vague at this moment. And now we're going to continue listening. Do you guys? Here we go. We're going to see how much horrible it can go because it gets worse. Here we go. No, it doesn't make it all right. No. Just because it's Saturday night doesn't make it all right, okay? You're on tour. This is Detroit in the 80s. She could have a pocket full of AIDS for all you know. You don't know what's going on. And here's the clincher. Here's the worst part. Listen up. Your dick! You're gonna lose your dick! Alright, everybody, you've been fantastic. Enjoy your headliner. I love you very much. Good night.